in a series called Encounters with God, and we're looking at them from the book of Genesis. So today, we are looking at Genesis chapter 32. Now, if you're not used to the Bible, I've got a really clear instructions for you, and they're really easy. Just open it to the first book, and that's Genesis. Now, uh, three weeks ago, we talked about Abraham's encounter with God, uh, Moriah with Isaac. Two weeks ago, we talked about Isaac's encounter with God. And today, we're going to talk about Isaac's son, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and his encounter with God. And so we're reading this from Genesis chapter 32, and it's a long text, 2 to 31, but we're not going to read all that. I've kind of sort of cut and uh, pasted the pieces we need. I'm reading blue, and this is what it says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. Very important. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may be do good to you. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. And you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jacob. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Beautiful. Well done. By the way, just before we pray, I want to say thanks to all of you that walked supported or gave to the Samaritan Center for the coldest night of the year. The goal was $50,000 for the center. We raised almost 65000 Indeed. 
And our goal as a congregation, as our team, was $3,000, and we raised just a few dollars, $25, $30 short of $5,000. So thank you. You are generous. You are loved and greatly appreciated. So thank you. Father, again, we pause in your presence to acknowledge that you are here in the living person of Jesus Christ. And we ask now by His Spirit, your Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into all truth. That you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, and when we go out from this place, to live out your truth in practical, meaningful, tangible ways that we may spread the good news and the love of Christ in our homes, our neighborhoods, our place of recreation, our place of work and school, and all the places where we buy and get our services. And we ask this, that Christ may be pleased, praised, and glorified. And in his name, and for his namesake, we ask these mercies. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the three patriarchs of Israel. They are a big deal. Jacob is the third patriarch, and his name is going to be changed to Israel. And yes, it is from him that we actually have the current nation of Israel. And it will be the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel, that will become the nation. Now, his name is changed, of course, but that is just as a part of our text And we'll get into that in just a moment. But before we do that, there's maybe some of us in the room or some of us that are listening online that we may need a little bit of background to understand the story. Maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you're new to the Bible. You don't know what's going on. So let me give you a little bit of background. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as I said, are the three uh, patriarchs of Israel. And you could say that Abraham is a man known for the altar. Isaac is a man known for the well, and Jacob is a man known for the tent, or the man with the limp, and we'll get to that. Now, Jacob has a brother, a twin brother, Esau. Now, Esau is the firstborn, and the Bible actually tells us that when Esau was born, he came out first, and Jacob come out grasping his heel. Now, whether that is literal or figurative, nobody really knows. But we do know that Jacob's name, one of the interpretations of Jacob's name, is that he is the heel grabber. Now, Esau, the oldest boy, he was a redhead, very hairy. He loved the great outdoors. He was a great hunter. And he was his father's favorite. Now, I know that no parent in the room has favorites, but Isaac did, and Esau was his favorite. Now, Jacob is the younger of the twins, and he is smooth in more than one way, but he's smooth-skinned. He is hairless. He loved the great indoors, and he is known as a man of the tent, and he was a great chef. Actually, he was like the Gordon Ramsay of the Bible without the profanity. Now, you should know who that is. Actually, when I think about it, before his transformation, he was the, um, the chef Gordon Ramsay with 
the profanity. That's exactly what he was like. But he was his mother's favorite. And he was also a clever con artist. Now, two stories shape their lives and our text. And they come to us in Genesis chapter 25 to 27, and we're not going to take time to read that, so I'm going to give you the Coles Notes version. The first issue is that Jacob, the younger, cheats Esau, his older brother, out of his birthright. And this is how the story goes. Jacob is out in the field hunting. He's out in the woods hunting, and he comes back from the woods, and he is famished. He's got this low blood sugar thing going. And he's about to pass out, and Jacob the chef has created this incredible meal. And Esau says, give me some food. I'm famishing here. And Jacob says, I will give you some, but you must first give me your firstborn birthright. And Jacob or Esau basically says, well, it's not much to me because I'm going to die anyway. You can have it. And that's the end of that. Now, the second story is a worse story because this brings Jacob's mother, Rebekah, into the scene. And Jacob, along with his mother, Rebekah, they actually manipulate and deceive Isaac the father to giving Jacob the first paternal, firstborn paternal blessing of his father. And this is how that story goes. Esau is out hunting again, but this time at the request of his father. And he, his father wants him to make him a wild game dinner. While he's out getting this wild game, Rebekah kills a goat and makes the meal that, uh, that Esau was going to make for his father and makes it just like Esau would have made it. And then she puts the goat skins on Jacob and gives the food to Jacob. Now Esau, or sorry, Isaac, the father, is blind. So when Jacob comes in disguised as the older brother Esau, Isaac says, you smell like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. And he brings him forward and brings him up close, and he rubs his arms and his legs and discovers that he is hairy, so it must be Esau. And he pronounces Esau's blessing on Jacob. Now here's where it gets crazy. Once Jacob's dishonesty is actually exposed and the truth emerges, there's really, surprisingly, little fuss. Uh, Isaac, the father, actually takes it all in stride. And you have to wonder when you read the text whether or not Isaac, the father, actually knew it was Jacob and gave Jacob the blessing anyway because Jacob was sort of the more worthy of the successors. And, of course, Rebecca, the mother, is not going to say anything because this is her favorite boy. Esau is the only one in the story that actually responds the way we think people should have responded. He comes back, and now from hunting to do this wild game dinner for his father, and now not only has he been cheated out of his birthright, but now he's been cheated out of his firstborn paternal blessing by his father. Jacob has done this. And so he is furious. He is frustrated. He's been fooled. He is livid. 
and he is ready to kill. And because of this, Rebekah sends Jacob away to her brother Laban's house, which is actually Jacob's uncle. Now here's another thing. What's interesting is that instead of suffering for his dishonesty, Jacob actually profits from it so far. The only price that he really has to pay for his dishonesty is that he got to go away for a little while until his brother Esau's temper and anger cools. But he does it. And this is one of the outstanding elements in our text. So file that in your filing system for a moment. And although it's not easy for Jacob to go off for a little while while his brother's anger cools, he is extraordinarily compensated for it on the way and while he is there. Now, when we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 32, our text, 20 years has passed. And this is where we cut in now to the story. Jacob wants to come home. And he wants to go back to the land that God promised to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac, and now as promised to him. Jacob has been away long enough in the hill country to the north that he is married and he has become rich and he has children, and he is a very successful man. Now Jacob has left his uncle Laban's house, who, by the way, is also his father-in-law. I'll just let that sit for a moment. Jacob has left his uncle Laban's house, who is also, by the way, his father-in-law. And by the way, that's a fiasco as well. But as uncle Laban fades in the distance, Jacob turns over this page of his life And he finds, he discovers that a dark blot from the past has soaked through. And now, now he has to face the long, unscrupulous account that he has run up with his brother Esau all these 20 years. And Esau is coming to collect, or so it seems to Jacob. Now, we're told in verse 6 that Esau is coming to Jacob with 400 men. That's a small army. Now, like Jacob, we are not told why it is that Esau is coming to meet Jacob with 400 men. We have the end of the story, of course, but Jacob at the time did not. But one thing is clear. Jacob is distressed And he is afraid. And his fear is well-founded because the last time we heard from Esau, his intent was to get even for being cheated by his brother and that he was going to kill him in revenge for cheating him out of his birthright and for cheating him out of his firstborn blessing. So what do you do? What does a person do when you are afraid and distressed 
over an offended brother or sister. Proverbs 18, verse 19 says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. So what do you do? Well, you pray. Now, an African pastor friend of mine about 900 years ago, a long time ago, he taught me the art and the importance of praying the Bible, praying the Scriptures. Matter of fact, I still have the book that he actually gave me. And when I read this text in Genesis 32, a long, long time ago, I found what he was talking about. Now, this Jacob's prayer is the perfect prayer. It is the perfect prayer. Now, it's not our main point, but it's in our text, so we got to go through it. There are four parts to his prayer. Very simple. They're all P's, and you can remember them. Now, in verse 9, he prays the purposes of God. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, who, is, who said to me, return to your country and to your kinsmen that I may do you good. He prays the purposes of God. Then he prays the providence of God 22 years ago. Verse 10 tells us that he left and had nothing, and he's returning 20 years later, and he has everything. And then he prays in verse 11, the protection of God. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. I have noticed that fear is a great motivator for prayer. Anybody else notice that? Yeah. And the last thing he prays is the promises of God. But you said... I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This is the same blessing that God gave to his grandfather Abraham. And now he's giving it to his grandson Jacob. And this African pastor friend of mine told me this. He said, when we remind God of his promises... We do not do so to convince God, but rather to convince ourselves. Now, as I said, this is not the main point, but this is a perfect prayer. But there's also a perfect problem, or a problem, if you will. And the problem is this, that Jacob is just like me and you. Jacob is like us. He's like you, he's like me. And many of the people who came to Jesus in the Gospels. That we come to Jesus to get something rather than just being followers. And that makes us consumers. But we know that Jesus does not always give us what we ask for, and he does not always give us what we think we need. And God says things to us that we do not want to hear. And when that happens, we feel disappointed, we feel let down, we feel deflated. You see, 
When we read the Bible or we hear the Bible read, nine times out of ten, we do not hear what is really being read. We hear what we expect to be read. And when that happens, we discover that we lose something. And what we lose is this. We lose the understanding, the discovery that not every Bible story is a success story. As we define success. And our text is a very good example of that. Because when we consider the outcome of this story, we have to wonder, or I have to wonder, if Jacob really knew how this story was going to end for him, if Jacob really knew what the outcome was going to be, what the aftermath was going to be, would he have really wanted it? Now, Jacob has to face his past. But before he can face his past and his brother, he has to face himself. And verse 22 says, And the same night he arose, and then the process unfolds. Now I want you to listen to me for a moment. Everyone God loves undergoes a similar process. Now, there are a number of things in our text in verses 22 to 25 that catch our attention. In verse 22, it says, And the same night he arose, and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. Now, Jabbok, the word, the name, means emptying. And everybody God loves goes through the process of emptying. Even Jesus. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, which is a very familiar text to us, says, Who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant in human form. It's what Abraham is doing on Mount Moriah with Isaac. He's being emptied. It's what Moses is doing in the backside of the desert for 40 years. He's being emptied. It's what David is doing in Psalm 51. He's being emptied. It's what Peter is doing after the crucifixion when he denies Jesus and through the time through to after the resurrection where he is reinstated. He is being emptied. It's what's happening to Paul when he's three days blinded in Damascus. He's being emptied. And it is what is happening to Jacob as he crosses the Jabbok ford. 
He's being emptied. And it's what happens to you and me, to us, and to everyone God loves in our crisis and our pain and our disappointment and our struggles. We are being emptied. And usually, the emptying can only take place when we're alone. Sam Bellows said that silence is enriching. The more you keep your mouth shut, the more fertile you become. And I think the same is true of being alone. And verse 24 says, And Jacob was left alone. And the words hang there like they are suspended in time and space. And then it happens. Out of nowhere comes this stranger. A man wrestled, verse 24 says, with him until the breaking of day. Now, this struggle is another one of those mysterious events in the Bible. Now, we're told several things about the identity of this stranger, this wrestler. First of all, that he is a man, then he's referred to God in the words Peniel and Penuel, by the way, which you pronounce really well in the reading, means face-to-face with God. Now, if I were really being honest with you, so don't repeat this, I don't totally understand this scene and this event. I mean, I think it is unusual and unique even for the Bible. But I do know that on another level, most of us, if not all of us, as Christians struggle and wrestle with God at some point. I have wrestled and struggled with God, and it has broken my heart. I have wrestled and I have struggled with God of things that he wanted me to do or I felt that he was leading me to do and places where he was sending me to that I didn't want to do and I didn't want to go. And in all of those times and in all of those events, I was changed. And all of those times and all of those events was, took place when I was alone. Alone. And in Jacob's struggle, four things come to bear. First of all, he wrestles. They wrestle until the break of day, and we'll come to that in a moment. And Jacob is touched by the stranger, and his hip is put out of joint. And Jacob asks a blessing. Jacob is crying out to know this stranger's name. Jacob. Disabled. Defeated. Helpless. Flawed. But clinging to this stranger like he is a drowning man and choking out the words, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the darkness has faded just enough that for the first time, Jacob 
can see dimly the stranger's face. And what he sees is more terrible than the face of death. He sees the face of love. And Jacob is asked his name by the stranger. Now, the stranger knows Jacob's name. God knows Jacob's name. God knows my name. God knows your name, our names. God knows Jacob's name, but does Jacob know his name? And this is where Jacob faces himself. My name is Jacob. Deceiver. Cheat. Con man. Trickster. Scam artist. One who grabs the heel or twists the arm. I am Jacob the go-getter. And that's all God wanted. That's all God wanted. Frederick Buechner said, God, before giving us everything, He demands of us everything. And before giving us life, He demands our lives, ourselves, our will, and our treasure. So why? Why does the stranger, why does God ask Jacob his name? Because of this. Because God cannot bless who we pretend to be. He can only bless who we truly are. And here's another problem. For many of us, even in this room, and possibly for most of us, is that we project an image, an idea of ourselves that we think others will like and accept better than our true selves. And here's the really sad thing. We have been doing it so long, we have been projecting an image of an idea of ourselves who we think other people will like and accept. We've been doing it for so long that we have actually forgotten who we truly are. Being formed in the likeness of God and bearing his image. And Jacob's blessing comes in the form of transformation, internally and externally. And the last glimpse we have of Jacob is him limp, limping home. Disabled, defeated, flawed, helpless, and delivered from self from self-importance, from self-sufficiency and self-dependency to submission. And when we limp, we learn to lean on something or someone. How many of you have ever walked on crutches? Raise your hand. When I was in grade 11, 
And yes, for all you smart Alex out there, yes, they did have crutches when I was in grade 11. When I was in grade 11, I broke my ankle. I'm not going to tell you what doing, but it's not important. But there's a story there. And I had to learn to walk on crutches. You know what I discovered? It's a lot harder than it looks. Right? I want to give you this from Moses. I want you to see the image. And I want you to listen to it from Deuteronomy chapter 33, 26, and 27. And this is what it says. I think we have it on the PowerPoint, don't we, Charles? Do we have the Deuteronomy passage? Thank you. Listen to what it says. There is none like God, Moses says, who rides through the heavens to help. There is none like God who rides through the heavens to help you. To help you. Now stop for a moment and think about that. Who rides through the heavens to help you. To help you. And 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 me. Now just pause for a moment and think about that. That there is none like God. We get that but that he rides through the heavens to help us. Like, is that not worth the price of admission? But listen to what it says further. Through the skies in his majesty, the eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms of God. When you limp, you learn to lean. And we learn to lean on God. That's what Jacob is learning. By the way, do you know what Jacob's staff and crutch is called? Jacob's staff and crutch is called a cross staff. I mean, it's just loaded with imagery and meaning. It looks like this. Now, this is a manufactured version, but I think you get the idea. Do you know what the last word that we get in the Bible from Jacob? The last word in the Bible on Jacob is in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says this, By faith Jacob, when dying... Blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob learned to lean until the day he died. So what is it in your life and mine? I'm going to invite the musicians to come. What is it in your life and mine? What's the tipping point? What is it that causes you and I to limp? What's the limp that makes us lean? What's the weakness? What's the chink in our armor? 
What's your Achilles heel? What's your impairment? Your flaw? What's your fear? What's your restriction? What's your lack? What's your insecurity? What's your pain? God cannot bless who we pretend to be. God can only bless who we truly are. I want you to close your eyes. And in just a moment, we are going to share communion together. But I want you and me and all of us to think about our lives for just a moment. Not your spouses, not your children, not your parents, not your brother, sister. Our lives individually. Not the person sitting next to you on either side. You, me, individually. God can only bless who we truly are. Not who we pretend to be. And this is the reality of Jacob. God asked Jacob his name because Jacob needed to understand who he truly was before he could be transformed. And that transformation stayed with Jacob until the day he died. So this morning, as we prepare for communion, I want us to think about do I pretend to be somebody that I'm not? Do I project an image, an idea of myself that I think other people will accept? Or am I truly me? And as we come to communion today, we can't come with our pretend self. We can only come with who we truly are. With our lack, our fears, the chink in our armor, the flaw, the limp, the weakness. What is it? What is it that might even think in your mind today, well, I really can't take communion today because... What is that? And so what God is calling us to do today is to really confront who we truly are. And who we truly are is really needs to come to communion because we need to face that. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite you to come for communion. I'm going to read the text for you in a moment. But I want to pray for you first. Father, there are some texts in the Bible that are troubling. They don't turn out the way we want them to turn out. And that's the same in our lives as well. Things don't always turn out the way that we want them to turn out. You don't always give us what we think we need. You don't always say to us what we want to hear. And maybe it's possible today in this room, and those watching online, that there's some things going on in our hearts and lives today that we don't want to hear. We don't want to think about. But it's who we are. And you ask us, what's your name? Who 
are you truly? And that's who you want to come to communion today. So, Father, today, for all of us who maybe said something, did something, thought something over this week, and they're struggling with the guilt of that, Lord, I just pray right now as they ask forgiveness for that, that you will just cleanse them and you will just free them up from the guilt and the shame so they can come and enjoy and take communion. Because it's at this table that we face who we truly are. Warts and flaws and all. So help us today, we pray. Lord, you're the, you're the Holy Spirit. You know how to speak to my heart just as well as you know how to speak to Pastor Scott's heart or Ruth's heart or anybody else's heart. And you speak to us privately and personally. Would you do that this morning? As we share in the table that remembers the broken body and the shed blood that as we sang a few moments ago that washes away our sin. Help us to find confidence in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.